Well, good morning to all. Looks like everyone is making their way back to their seats, so we wish you a warm welcome to Crossroad International Church. In case this is your, your first time or we haven't met, my name is Jason, and I have the privilege of serving as a summer interim pastor here. Well, good morning once again. Welcome, welcome this morning. Uh, this summer, we are going through the whole story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, as a summer series. And we have seen this, the story of Scripture is kind of like building a puzzle, where we want to start with the corner pieces and build the outline. And then as you do your individual study, as you study chapter by chapter and book by book, you can fill in all the details. And, and the hope is that as we go from Genesis to Revelation, this outline will give you a framework in which you can place all of your individual study uh, as you go into the details. And if we can go to the first slide, what we've been seeing is that the opening chapters of Genesis present the setting of the story as the heavens and the earth. It presents God as the main character, or we could say the hero, and the hero's desire is that his image bearers would rule the world on his behalf. But the problem in the story is that the image bearers gave the rule of the world over to the serpent. And so now the problem is the serpent is ruling the world. But God has a plan revealed in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a seed of the woman, a son, who would strike the serpent's head and lead humanity back to the garden, restore the rule of earth back to his image bearers. And really, that, that plan is being worked out all the way from Genesis 4 until Revelation 19. And then lastly, in the final three chapters of the scripture, we have the resolution where the image bearers of God, in fact, do rule upon the earth. And so we're going in this direction in the story. If we go to the next slide, Genesis 3.15 is one of those corner pieces in the puzzle. It's here that we have the first messianic prophecy of the promised seed. We have the fact that there will be the seed of the woman, all of those people who share the woman's desire for the promised seed, and there will be the seed of the serpent, all who share the serpent's desire to rule the world. And the serpent and the serpent seed, of course, don't want the promised seed to strike his head because that's the end of his kingdom. They don't want that. And so their options are either to deceive, as they did with Cain, pull them away, or to kill, as they did with Abel. And what we saw going through Genesis, and we jump to the next slide, was that through the story of Genesis, we were tracing the seed from one generation to the next to the next. And by the end of Genesis, we had worked our way from Adam all the way to Judah, who is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, who was renamed Israel. And after Judah, several hundred years later, would be born a man named David, and that's King David. And then a thousand years after David would be Jesus Christ in the line of David. And so Jesus is, of course, the ultimate promised seed who will, in the future, strike the serpent and restore the earth back to God's image bearers. 
And so by the end of Genesis, we've seen that the entire family of Jacob, all of his 12 sons and all of their children, had moved down to Egypt. And that's where the story ended in Genesis. But as we move on, we move to Exodus, and it's not as obvious in the English translations, but the way Hebrew narrative works, it will always say, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And that's the pattern of Hebrew narrative. And so the book of Exodus starts just like that, and this happened. Yeah, and this happened. And so it's a continuation of the story. And in fact, you have to go really far in the Bible before you find a book that doesn't start with, and this happened, and this happened. So it's, it's one flowing story all the way through. And so the, the 12 sons will grow into the 12 tribes there in Egypt. And if you remember, God had promised Abraham that he would give his descendants a great nation. They would multiply. And so this Time in Egypt is the nation-building part of that promise, where God has said, I will make you a great nation. In fact, they became so great that the Egyptians said, you know what, there's too many of them. We need to put them in slavery. We need to kill the Israelite baby boys. And so God sent Moses as a redeemer to bring Israel out of Egypt. We call that the Exodus. There were great plagues that God sent upon the nation of Egypt. And he led them through the, the Red Sea in a mighty miracle. And then he took the nation to Sinai, a mountain in the wilderness, where the Lord gave them the Mosaic Covenant, uh, which is essentially the constitution of national Israel. It's how they were to live as a nation, how they were to relate to God. And in a nutshell, if we jump to the next slide, Already there. Thank you. The Mosaic Covenant promised blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Now, the Mosaic Covenant was always intended to be temporary. In contrast to the Abrahamic Covenant, which we saw last week was eternal and irrevocable. So God will never go back on his word, on his promises in the Abrahamic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant, lastly, is a covenant between God and Israel. And I think in, throughout church history, there has been a great deal of confusion about the Mosaic Covenant and what relationship does it have with the church. Should we be following the entire Mosaic Law? Should we be following some of it or none of it? And when it comes to applying scripture, a very important principle to keep in mind is that we need to recognize who we are and where we fit in the story. So who we are and where we fit in the story. And this covenant was given to the nation Israel. Now we as the church are not the nation Israel. And when we, we start blending those together, things get really confusing and kind of murky. But, but these are two distinct entities. And so for the Christian, we are not under the dietary laws. We're not under the cleanliness laws. We're not under any single law of the Mosaic Covenant. And I'll say this, but I want to explain more. We're not even under the Ten Commandments. Okay? Because Paul will say in Galatians chapter 5 that if you put yourself under just one law, you're putting yourself under the whole thing. But what happens in the New Testament is nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated for the church. So all of them except for keeping the Sabbath. And so in an ethical sense, we, we end up following many of the same rules. Nevertheless, we are not under the Mosaic Covenant in any way. Uh, rather, Christians are held to the law of Christ, 
which is the law of love. And so if you are loving God, you're not going to go and worship idols, as it would say in the Ten Commandments. If you love your neighbors, you're not going to steal from them or murder them or take their wife or bear false testimony against them. And so as Christians, we're under the law of love. And so the Israelites will have this law, and they will be wandering around the desert of Sinai for about 40 years. And at the end of the 40 years, the generation that had gone through the Exodus would die off. Uh, and they died there in the desert. And a new generation was born, and they were raised up, and they were going to go into the Promised Land. But before they did, Moses wanted to give them a second telling of the law. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. In fact, Deuteros means second, Namas means law, so it's like a second telling of the law to the second generation. And so if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's Deuteronomy chapter 28. And our text for this morning will be 28, 29, and 30. We won't go over every verse, but I do want to hit some highlights here. And these are some very key chapters in the first five books of the Bible uh, that we call the Pentateuch. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, let me read these first 15 verses for us, uh, and we'll have some commentary as we go through. So chapter 28, verse 1. And if you, uh, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So we see that little bit of conditionality. If you obey, you'll be blessed. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. So there's a whole lot of blessing that the Lord is promising if they should obey. Verse 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 9, the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And so the point here is that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be so blessed that all the other nations would look and say, whoa, who's your God? And why is he blessing you so much? Let us get in on that. And the purpose of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests that would lead all the nations of the earth to God and point to the promised one who is coming from Israel to bring blessing to all the nations. Verse 11. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock, the fruit of the ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain on your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. 
And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods and serve them. So some wonderful blessings here. But I want you to notice there are 14 verses of blessings. And then in verse 15, the curses start. And just go ahead and look in your Bible to the end of the chapter. The curses continue all the way to verse 68. So you have 14 verses of blessing and something like 54 verses of cursing. And this chapter is extremely important to the rest of Old Testament history because it governs what happens to Israel. That as Israel goes on as a nation, uh, occasionally they will be faithful. Most of the time, they won't. And the curses that come upon them are the curses that show up here in Deuteronomy 28. And so this is one of those key chapters that really explains the rest of Old Testament history for us. So it's a, a very good chapter to, to be familiar with. And in fact, the the prophets that God would send to Israel, they're always calling Israel back to covenant faithfulness. And they will say, hey, you see all the things that are happening, all these curses? That's Deuteronomy 28. Come back, repent, turn to covenant faithfulness. And so that was the job of the prophets of God as he sent them to Israel. Now I just want to note a few things from the rest of chapter 28, just briefly. Verse 15, it will say, but if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then the rest of the chapter is the listing of these curses. Now, if you jump down to verse 36, it says, the Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. Now recall that a significant portion of the blessing to Israel was being in their land. But if they're being sent to another nation, that means they're out of their land. In fact, down in verse 41, it says, you shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. So there is a distant nation that will take the Israelites into captivity. And why is that? Verse 45, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So it's because of their disobedience that this exile would happen. In verse 49, it says, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. Notice it's singular, a nation at this point. And then down until verse 57, it will describe the siege that will come upon Israel and upon Jerusalem. And that's what we know as the Babylonian siege that started in 605 BC. And that's when Babylon really destroyed Jerusalem and took captives away to Babylon. And so they were in captivity. They were in exile outside of their land. Down in verse 64, however, it says this, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples. So this is something different. There was an exile to a nation, singular. Now it's among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other. 
Verse 65, and among these nations you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. And isn't that exactly the history of Israel? All through the ages they have been persecuted right and left by all kinds of different people, never certain of their future. Most recently we might think of World War II and the Nazi Holocaust of the Jews where many millions were exterminated. And so that's been the, the history of Israel, is living out these curses, first to the Babylonian exile, even after they came back to the land until the time of Christ. After that, they were scattered yet again, but this time scattered to all the nations of the earth. Now we might wonder, reading about these curses, is God harsh? Is God cruel? But you know, the purposes of these curses were always about a parent who lovingly disciplines their children. The purpose is restoration. The purpose of the curses was to bring them back, restore them to covenant faithfulness, just like disciplining a child. And he wanted to do that because if they return to faithfulness, then he could bless them according to that same covenant. But the problem was they won't be able to keep the covenant because they have hard hearts and they will need divine assistance to do that. And that's where Deuteronomy 29 comes in. So in chapter 29, verse 1, let me read this verse. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. Now many people, I think, have misunderstood this as a continuation of the Mosaic covenant, but this is actually a separate covenant. Notice it says, besides the covenant he made with them at Horeb. And Horeb is another name for Sinai. So you have the Mosaic covenant, and you have here what we'll call the land covenant. And if we could jump to the next slide, I just want to show you some of the differences here. The first one was made at Sinai. The second one, the land covenant, in the land of Moab. The timing is also different. So either the third month of the Exodus or the 40th year. So there's a, a gap of time. It's two different generations, first to the generation that left in the Exodus and then the generation that grew up in the wilderness. And when we look at the nature of these covenants, the Mosaic covenant was based on meritorious law, right? Blessings if you obey. But what we'll find here about the land covenant is that it is based on God's character itself unmerited grace. So I don't see how these can be possibly the same covenant. They're, they're two different things. They have different natures and they have different provisions as well. And so if we jump to the next slide, here's an outline. Chapter, uh, chapter 29 verse 1 is the introduction to the covenant. And then from verse 2 all the way to chapter 30 verse 1, it basically tells Israel their prophetic history in advance. It tells them, you will not be able to keep the Mosaic Covenant. You're hard-hearted. You're stubborn. You won't be able to keep it. And so, as a result of your disobedience, you will be scattered among the nations. You will be scattered. But, starting in chapter 30, verse 2, 
is all about God's promise to restore Israel to the land. And it will be done with divine intervention in their hearts. So let's look at these verses from chapter 30, verse 2 to 10. We'll, we'll look at these in some detail here. So, verse 2. Or I guess the sentence starts in verse 1. When all these things come to pass, verse 2, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And so we see, if we remember the Abrahamic covenant, the three major promises were land, seed, and blessing. And we kind of see this repeated here as well. He's promising to bring them back, regather them in the land, and then make them prosperous and numerous. So we can say that's an amplification of the seed promise. So you might guess what's coming next. In verse 6, it says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, or your seed, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So this is talking about divine circumcision of the heart. Moses had told them earlier in Deuteronomy to write the law of God on their hearts, but they couldn't do it. And the problem was, when we get to Jeremiah's time, he will say, your hearts are like stone, and you have sin etched in your stone heart with a diamond chisel. You're hard-hearted, you're stubborn, you can't keep the law. And so that's why Ezekiel, the prophet, will talk about having a heart of stone removed and being given a heart of flesh. Or in Jeremiah, he will talk about the Spirit of God coming within the Israelites. And so we don't know it at this point in the story, but this is a preview of what we call the New Covenant that Jeremiah will mention in Jeremiah chapter 31. So God's divine intervention is required. And then what happens after that? Verse 7. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. So now the enemies of Israel will be judged. Verse 8, And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So if we kind of summarize how verses 2 to 10 are fitting together, I think verse 6 talks about the spiritual conversion that God will grant. And because now with divine empowerment to obey, that will bring about the repentance of verse 2. That will lead to the restoration in the land, verses 3 and 4. Possession of the land and multiplication of the population, that's verse 5. And then the judgment of Israel's enemies, verse 7. And the enormous prosperity 
and blessing of verse 9. And, and so we kind of see this same familiar pattern, land, seed, and blessing as the primary elements of the covenant. Well, verse 10 is as far as we're going to go in chapter 30. But just to summarize where we've been, the land covenant of Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Uh, yeah, there we are. Thank you. It, it is a prophetic declaration of Israel's future history. So it's telling them what will happen in the future. It's basically saying that, no, you won't be able to keep the Mosaic law, so you'll be punished. You will be scattered among all the nations. But God will commit a divine heart transplant, a circumcision of heart. He will discipline them and, and uh, give this heart uh, repair to, to bring about repentance that will bring them back to the land and restore their blessing. And another key element of this covenant is that it affirms that the land eternally belongs to Israel despite their disobedience. So even though they were out of the land from you know, the 130s AD uh, until about 1940s or so, um, even though they were gone all that time, scattered abroad, as chapter 28 and 29 would say, is still theirs. And, and God is in the process of bringing the Israelites who are scattered back into the land. And so if we zoom out from Deuteronomy, let's just take a big picture of where we are in the story. We recall that God's intention was to have his image bearers rule the world on his behalf. And that's the kind of rule that brings blessing and care and provision to all of creation. That's what God wants. But they gave the rule to the serpent. But that didn't change God's desire. He still wants his image bearers to rule the world. And he is in the process of restoring rule of the earth to his image bearers. And that's where Genesis 3.15 comes in. The promised seed will strike the serpent's head. Then we saw the Abrahamic covenant, which promised land, seed, and blessing. And we saw that that was unfulfilled, even as of today. June 23rd, 2023, has not been fulfilled. We saw the map last week with the borders of the Promised Land, and Israel has never possessed all of that land. And then we saw the land covenant today that says that despite Israel's inability to keep the Mosaic Law, they will be disciplined, but God will circumcise their hearts and bring them back and bless them abundantly. And so, as I was saying earlier about applying the scriptures, to rightly apply, we need to understand who we are and where we fit in the story. Now, we are not Israel. We are the church. But if we're following the story, we're still waiting for the promised seed to strike the serpent's head. We are still waiting for the Abrahamic covenant to be fulfilled. We're still waiting for this land promise to be fulfilled. And so this tells us that as we get further in the story, these things must happen because God is a God who keeps his word, keeps his promises. And so when it comes to how do we apply this text to us, to, to you and me in the church, I think what we have to realize is that this gives us hope, enormous hope. You know, I, I look around at the world, uh, I look at my life, I see problems in my life. I see problems at the family level, problems 
at the societal level and in the whole world is just full of problems. But when I recognize that there is hope in God's promises, that yes, yes, that gives me hope for something in the future is better. And, and you know, a, a temptation can say uh, for Christ, can be for Christians to say, well, the world's a goner, so let me just hope for heaven. Now, hoping in heaven is certainly good, but keep in mind that the goal of the Christian life is not to die and have our disembodied spirit in heaven forever. Heaven, as we understand it now, is, is a step on the way to resurrection life on this earth as image bearers of God ruling the earth. So heaven is a step back uh, before resurrection life. And just as a, a spoiler alert, that's what happens in Revelation 19, isn't it? The Lord Jesus will come back from heaven with everybody who's with him, that would be the resurrected saints, and they come back to earth. And in chapter 20 of Revelation, that's where they reign on the earth. And so we're looking ahead to that time. And so my simple question to everyone this morning is, where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope? Are you thinking of a certain person or a certain job or maybe a government, a particular political party? Are, are you putting your hope in the things that may not satisfy, that, that may not fulfill, and, and probably will let you down at some point? Well, rather than that, the encouragement I think we get from this text is to put our hope in the promises of God. So put our hope in the promises of God. And so if you have never put your, your faith, your hope, and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the promised seed of Genesis 3.15, if you've never done that, I would urge you to consider doing that. Think about all the possible things you could put your hope in and then contrast that with the hope of Jesus Christ, who promises resurrection life and glory and rule over this earth in, in the best possible way. So, please trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. He died in our place. He was resurrected, ascended to heaven, and he promises resurrection life to those who believe in him. So, if that's something you think you might want to do or consider, or maybe you have questions about that, feel free to come find me after the service. I'd be happy to speak with you. Or if you want to talk on the phone or, or message me uh, the church number, uh, that would be fine, and I would be happy to speak with you. So let's pray, and then we'll invite our musicians back up. Eternal Father, you had a plan from the beginning. The devil and sin are not, well, as they postpone the plan, you are still working out your promises. And so we thank you, Lord, for the covenants that you have delivered to the nation Israel, and that through Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope for a future, the hope for resurrection life on the earth, the hope where finally your peace, your shalom, shall be prevalent over all the earth. We long for that day. In the meantime, Lord, help us in our weaknesses, help us in our problems as we look ahead in hope for what you will do. 
We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.